Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Yesterday, you remember we were talking about uh, the clocks and the clocks uh, falling back, going back an hour uh, this Sunday, the end of summertime and the beginning of wintertime. And we were talking yesterday about do you adjust your car clock, you know, the clock in your kitchen or the clock in your cooker in your kitchen and stuff like that and we had an interesting conversation about it and uh, heard from you too. Well today we're on a slightly different tack because a subject we've talked about many times over the years on the show is a lack of sleep and so many people finding it difficult to get a good night's sleep. My first guest today believes that the changing of the clocks has a big impact on people's sleeping habits. I'm delighted to say hello today to the uh, woman behind IWantQualitySleep.com, founder of Siest, and a woman, can I say she's sleep obsessed? Gina Dunn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Not, Hi. A, not at all. I see we, we spotted you, you know, uh, commenting about this uh, time change on the clock. Just put your cards on the table for a start. Are you in favour of this or not? I'm in favour of this weekend when the clocks fall back, so from 2am to 1am, that this is the last change. And I think we should have a big clock change party and... <laughs> move forward with no other clock changes. So I'm in favour of moving from daylight saving to standard time and sticking to standard time. Okay, so you would prefer to see when this happens, it stays like that right through the year, no more changing. And haven't we sort of, in principle in Ireland, agreed to that and perhaps even in the EU? Am I right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, look, it's one of those things that gets debated every so often and I can understand it's not the priority in the world right now. Um, but the, the EU actually voted for the abolition of clock change about four years ago. So they said no more changes. The thing that hasn't happened is um, member states haven't agreed on when we should stop changing our clocks. Mm. Um, and with the UK out of the EU now, like there's an, there's an extra sort of conversation to be had yes. there as well. Mm. Tell me and our listeners why you favour this remaining now as it will be uh, come Sunday. Why are you so much in favour of leaving it like that? And especially, you are the sleep expert. Is it from that point of view alone? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my um, business is obviously in sleep, CS Sleep, and uh, working with the Irish Sleep, attending and being a member of the Irish Sleep Society or would be in favour of sticking to standard time. There's a big debate in the States at the moment um, where there was something called a Sunshine Act. I'm not sure if listeners will remember that. Um, and this was the idea to keep it at daylight saving time. But now, um, finally, the American uh, Sleep Academies and Sleep Associations are... Um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine is actually being part of the conversation and saying we need to stick to standard time. Um, so the... The reason behind it um, from a sleep point of view is that it, we don't need these changes and we, we should stay in standard time. But the reason is um, the change in summer um, can be linked really clearly to uh, more health problems. So a combination of car accidents, uh, cardiac issues, mental health, um, all can be seen to have data, data changes really uh, quite dramatically after the first week of the clock change. And that's because you lose about 40 minutes sleep in spring. Um, in autumn, so this particular clock change, it doesn't necessarily have a huge um, impact. And and actually, for people who, who use their weekends to catch up on sleep, um, they can find they're more refreshed. What, what we find is people who have small children who wake naturally at about seven, their lives are going to be a bit more thrown in disarray um, over the next two weeks because their children will wake up even earlier. Um, Babog is quite good at actually helping them change that and it sounds like you've already discussed all of that but the reason 
the reason it's so important, especially for Ireland, because we're on the west of a time zone, is that sunset is like, it's like this biological trigger. So when the natural light is reduced, you get more melatonin. And this particular hormone helps you feel tired. So, so if your sunset is really late, um, then you're naturally going to sleep later. And what I love asking, and one of the reasons I've moved into sleep and become so, as you say, sleep-obsessed, is the more I find out about sleep, the, the more I realise how little we know. So why, why, is it, um, why does it matter if we go to bed in Ireland later in the summer? So why, why does that matter? And the reality is people still have to get up at a certain time in the morning, be it for school or for jobs. So what's happening is then a compound effect of having less sleep. So over time... It's not necessarily that particular night, even though the next day you might have be a bit grumpy or not great on um, driving. But it's it's really the compound effect of over years and decades of having um, worse sleep. That's where it can actually then um, show d- deep impact um, on people. So what you're saying is those late sunsets, midsummer, when you come into May, June time, where the sun really or the light doesn't go till very late in the evening time, you know, up to 11 o'clock, nearly midnight uh, sometimes if you have real good weather. You say that mitigates against people getting the rest that they need. And just on the second point, just to make that clear, you believe the dimming of the light earlier will help everybody sleep better. So not everyone. It, it really depends on, on who you are. So okay. like, as I said, so the, the great thing about sleep is it's personal, okay. deeply personal. So there is no one quick fix. There is no one answer. There is no one data point. But um, what happens in, what's really important for us as humans is that we're in more natural alignment with mm. the light and dark cycle. And in spring, we, we move out of sync, but we move in in the wrong direction even further. That's what happens. Right. So you need the sunrise to help you, uh, like, get your, basically, yeah, you need the sun, sunlight in the morning. I'd love to talk about sunlight as well, mm, yeah. actually, because a lot of people are, they're focused on, you know, the 15-minute movements of the clock. And I, I think that's really good advice. And Babog Sleep are particularly good um, sleep consultancy for children. But I think the reality is mo- most people won't move their clock by 15 minutes, you know, over the next few nights and they, and they won't make that change. Um, so I, I love to focus on what, what can people do and it's great to start prioritising and valuing your sleep, um, but su- sunlight and light in general, if everyone could start thinking about that. So when you wake up in the morning, if you can get outside within the first 30 minutes of waking and if you go outside uh, and be outside, you're actually, what you're doing is resetting your sleep-wake cycle or your circadian rhythm to actually help you feel more energised in the day and then more tired at night. So it's it's crucial that you get that sunlight in the morning. How, for how long? How, if you talk about, like, people are, say, getting children ready for school, they're dashing to work, you know, in a practical sense, how long do you need to get out for? Great question. So if we lived in a really sunny climate, um, the research is showing at the moment about five minutes would be enough. Uh, we don't usually. So you need about 15 or 20. Um, I appreciate people are driving their children to school. Um, but I suppose what's really nice to know is that time in the playground or when you're out with your children, like that time is actually part of your sleep routine. So even though you're doing something else, like recognising that just being in the sunlight then um is actually going to be really beneficial to you, even if it's a cloudy day. So the sun is way more powerful than any artificial light, obviously, um, even on cloudy days. One other thing to probably mention on that, though, is, and some people see this as controversial, um, it's to not wear sunglasses, because what you can't really do is block out the sunlight from from you. What you're trying to do is get the sunlight in. And um, I just encourage people to try it. Try it Mm. for two weeks and see how... How it helps you feel it's free um, and it's a uh, it, it can be done by everyone mm. uh, interesting uh, yeah you yeah, preempted me question about the Irish weather if it's a, <laughs> it's like the last week you won't see much sunshine but as you say the sun is still there and you're you're getting the light for sure interesting indeed um what about you know um the whole uh, area of 
uh, you know, people say you shouldn't uh, drink caffeine late in the day, your technology keeping you awake, stuff like that. Is all that applicable, do you believe, too? So one of the things and one of the reasons I set up Siest is because it's really hard to follow a lot of the advice that's there at the moment. um, And some people find it conflicting. And the reality is we're getting lots of new research all the time. Um, So I always say I hold really strong opinions, but they're loosely held. So I have strong opinions, but they're loosely held. So what I mean by that is if you find you can metabolize coffee after dinner and it doesn't affect your sleep, then that's okay. Yeah. So, like, I'd say in any group of people, you'll have some people who, if they had coffee after one, they can't go to sleep for ages. Yes. Um, one in the afternoon, and somebody else who can always have an espresso after dinner. So, um, I think it, it is more personal. I think what, what isn't really personal and is more a general thing is this idea of light, both sunlight and also artificial light. Mm. So, um, the being on your devices... And that has two reasons why it's impactful. One, it's, it's creating a, a lot of information in your mind. And um, at our, in our business, um, we see that a racing mind is one of the things that keeps people awake for the longest. So if you're on your phone uh, scrolling or if you're watching something late, your mind is going to be more activated. Mm. So it's anything that you can do to start um, slowing down that, that sort of high energy thinking. There's no doubt about it. If your mind is racing, there's something on your mind. Never mind technology. It's nearly impossible. I found that over the years, something's annoying me or there's been issues. It is very, very difficult to get shut eye yeah. for sure. Do you, just, come back, just come back to that 15 minute a day thing up until the weekend. So what you're saying is that people should adjust their clock from today by 15 minutes to segue into the big hour change at the weekend. Is that it? So that is sleep advice for for people if if they if they live in a very routine world yes and i'll be very straight with you like my personal view and our company view at siest is that the reality of life is messy people are caring for older parents they're waking up with children they're stressed about work so all of our suggestions um, and our approach is things that can fit in with your life which is why we created a weighted sleep pillow which actually requires no routine change and no thinking. Um, and I think that's, I would love to see more of these messages come across with sleep rather than sort of quite rigid. You must have uh, a 10 minute nap or you must do X. And because I, I think there are so many different ways that people sleep and feel refreshed that I, I want to encourage people to get more in touch with their sleep and, and prioritise it more. That would be one of the most important things. And that business you founded, this woman walked away from a high-profile job in Google, folks, I must tell you, to uh, head down this road. And by God, is she making waves for sure. See, yes, this weighted uh, comforter. You know the way children have comforters, or we have teddies as young people, and we love them uh, to have them near us at sleep. Is that the principle behind it? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, there's a term called proprioception, which is basically that sense of feeling grounded um, and it's all back to this idea that I think sleep should be easy and better but also have no side effects so we're seeing a huge amount of um, people taking sleeping tablets which are known not to work after a certain amount of time, they definitely have their place um, in society but the they shouldn't be the dominant um, solution of choice I suppose, so what we wanted was something that feels uh, that you don't have to think about it fits in with your world. And our, our weighted sleep products you hug, they're from age five plus, can use them. So we have them in nursing homes and we have them from children age five plus. And this added weight, a comforter, exactly as you said, so they don't go flat. You can place them between your knees. And we're actually talking to more physios at the moment because of the sort of the knee and hip um, pre and post surgery. People are finding them really useful. They're, uh, they've, they've been tested, so um, we've done independent testing with Trinity on them. And I guess one of the things I love is they don't look like a medical product. And the reason I love that is people use things that make them feel good. Mm. So that's the most important thing. If you're going to have a good night's sleep, you have to use the thing you've bought. So there, that's yeah. why we uh, created that. Where can people check that out? Siest is the business. Siest.com. Com is there a .ie or where are you? Um, it's siest, S-I-E-S-T, sleep, 
Com. Very exactly. good. Very good. Yeah, I like them. I, I was looking at them myself this morning as well. I'm a devil for waking at five or six in the morning. I, I generally sleep about six hours now. But look, at I function on it. And as you say, what I love what you're saying, Sheena, is that it's a very individual thing. And you're the first I've actually spoken to that's highlighted that it's different for everybody. I want qualitysleep.com as well. Check Sheena out there as well. I want to talk to you again down the road. I'm out of time today. I love what you have to say. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for joining Thank me you. so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Sheena Dunn there from IWantQualitySleep.com and Siest is the uh, other business with those weighted comforters. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to get in touch with us on the show today. That uh, lady I was talking to, Sheena Dunn, siestsleep.com is what you're looking for, siestsleep.com. Now, my next guest is looking to reconnect with a good Samaritan who came to her aid in Drogheda during the summer. Fiona Boyle is on the line. Hi, Fiona. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for joining me on the show. You were visiting Drogheda. When was it? It was the 24th of August and I had just gotten off the train no longer than 10 minutes and I uh, ended up going over my ankle and had a uh, compound fracture. So um, it was a bit dramatic, all right. So uh, and you, you had arrived in Drogheda railway station, was it? Yeah, and well, I'd made my way with my friend onto the estuary because I wanted to have a bit of a sightsee. Yes. I was actually making my way down to uh, Sinead O'Connor's grave or to the house to lay some flowers, you know, because it was a big fan. Yeah. And I stopped off in Drogheda with my friend and uh, I was on the estuary when it happened. So tell me exactly where you were. When you came out of the station, the railway station, did you mm-hmm. get a taxi or something or what did you do? No, I was with my friend. Uh, I met him at the station and then we drove to this wee garage, got a coffee. Yeah. And then I hadn't even one sip out of my coffee when I went over on my uh, ankle. Oh, my, oh, my. Um, Unfortunate. Yes, when, when, yes. You, when you say the estuary, where do you mean? Um, well, I, I really don't know the area that well. So it was like a beachy area. Right. And because of where I'm from, it reminded me of the sort of terrain in Murloc Beach. Yes. Before you actually get to the sandy bit, you know what I mean? So yes. So it's pretty rough, like. Yeah. So, but, so um, would you know if it were? Did you drive out from Drogheda towards the sea, the seaside? Was that it? Towards the yeah, beach? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I and there was a wee garage, and then across the way there was like a. It was actually barricaded off, so you couldn't get high uh, vehicles into it. And, right. Um, so around there. Okay. Okay. So I. I, I don't know the area that well. Okay. Well, anyway, you were out on the coast near Drogheda. You were either on the south side of Drogheda, Mornington, Betty's Town, that area, or on the north side of your right. north side. I, I, I don't think you crossed back across the river, did you? No. Probably not. No, I don't think Yeah, so. I'd say it was on the south side, on the Mornington, Bettyson area. Anyway, you went over on your ankle. You're in shocking distress, obviously. And if you fractured it, uh-huh. oh my word. So what happened then? Uh, well, I was lying on the ground and obviously excruciating pain. And uh, this lady came over. Um, my friend David, he was phoning the medical team or whatever, ambulances and stuff. Yeah. Of uh, Bridge. I found out her name was Bridge. Okay. Uh, um, so she was basically holding my hand and uh, there was a few passers-by. And there was actually a doctor there as well with his wife out walking. Mm. And uh, he was able to get the medical team there quicker, you know. Yes. But it ended up that my bone did protrude through the... the, the, the the skin, so it was a pretty bad one. Oh my, oh my, oh my, oh yeah. my. I fe- I'm, I'm feeling pain myself, you even telling oh, me about it, horrible. to be honest with it, Fiona. <laughs> but this woman, Breege, who you believe yes. was a teacher in her day in Dundalk and retired, is that it, yeah? Yes, I'll tell you why I know all that information, because I was totally oblivious to that until I was getting discharged yeah. two days later after the operation, which I would like to thank all of the team in that uh, Lady Lourdes Hospital. Fantastic job. Um, but she came in looking for me just for a visit, and it ended up that I needed to get to Newry. Yeah. And uh, Bridge then uh, left me to Newry. 
where oh. my brother then picked me up with his uh, daughter, who was her birthday. So, yeah, and uh, she left me the whole way to New York with a Zimmer frame, crutches, um, my uh, overnight bag. What a lovely woman. Uh, what what a lovely woman. What a great classic. story this is. But the thing is, uh-huh. thing is, though, she gave me, we exchanged numbers, right? Yep. And I've been trying to contact her, but um, I put my code in from here to there instead of the other way around because I don't know why I've done that, but I did do that. Okay. And uh, I, I think I uh, deleted a couple of our numbers. Yes. And this is... Uh, um, I'm just doing this because I think the woman needs some sort of um, public acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. I understand. Yes, we understand what you're saying and we'd love to acknowledge yeah. her as well. So so you think there was a mix-up in the exchange of numbers, maybe both ways, and you haven't been no, able to get it. No, it was my fault. It was all totally right. my okay. fault. That's all right, Fiona. I added on <laughs> yeah. wrong numbers. No blame at all, but you can't get her either. So you, you, you're not being able to contact her. So you're with me today to see if this yeah. rings a bell with anybody. Folks, does, any, does anybody, uh-huh. let's talk to the listeners because they're great late lunch listeners, I have to say. Does anyone know a woman called Breach, a retired teacher from Dundalk, who may, who may be living around the Drogheda area, who was a, a wonderful Samaritan to Fiona when she broke her ankle uh, back in August, the 24th of August. Does anyone know this woman, Breach? Does it ring a bell with anybody? Do you know this lady at all? Uh, probably in the Mornington, Bettystown area, but equally could be on the Baltray side of the river. Let's see. Anyway, Fiona, we're going to put it out there today. See if we can Brilliant. get a bite on this one. And if we do, we'll be back to you and we'll put you in touch. Is that OK? Fantastic. How are you doing? Brilliant. Are you doing well? Are you doing well after I'm actually the break? up now and my dog put a bark here. Yeah. <laughs> delivery here. So uh, I can't rush to the door. Go on, away Sorry you go. Anyway, but thank you for joining me, Fiona. Not at all. God bless you. Take thank care you. now. Bye-bye. Breach. Do you know Breach? 086 658 by WhatsApp or text or call LMFM 041-983-2000 and we'll see if we can make the connection here. I'm delighted to welcome back my next guest. It's been too long. He's a legendary man. He really is. He's just published books number 16 and 17. One is about the far side. Poems, prayers and tales from the far side. That's the thing in Drogheda, depending on which side of the river you live in. And the second one is called The Boyne Yacht Club. I am delighted to say hello again to Ricky Jared. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Delighted, Jerry, to talk to you, yes. They are simply outstanding. May I congratulate you again. The work you produce, the finished products are simply amazing. It's unbelievable what you've put into these two books again. Congratulations on them. Can I start with the Boyne Yacht Club? Um, Where did this come from, the idea for this particular book? Because it's something I wouldn't have been familiar with even being a local here. Yeah, well, it, it came from when I was finished my last book about drama- dramatics from uh, dramatic societies from around the, uh, the town and the district. Uh, I, I was doing nothing. And um, then I was always on the lookout for something, as you know, because it takes, it takes some time to decide whether there is enough material in a, uh, something to, to, to produce a book to the standard that I, I am used to. So... Then I heard about the Boyne Yacht Club and uh, I knew nothing about the Boyne Yacht Club. I, I, I read an article about, about it from a girl called Linda Patton who, whose family were members of this Boyne Yacht Club. Now the Boyne Yacht Club were based in Mornington on the Crook Road and there's where they did, they, they had access then to the sea and uh, so it uh, so transpired. We had a few conversations together, myself and Linda, and uh, she knew an awful lot and uh, I knew how to do an awful lot. And so, <laughs> and so I love it. We, we decided to maybe uh, explore the possibility of uh, co-authoring the, uh, a book on the history of uh, this yacht club. And. That's, that's and it here it is. Well, I'll tell you, from not knowing much and the humble beginnings, 467 pages later, uh, what we have here is simply magnificent. The material, the photographs, the information, when you went digging, obviously there was uh, stuff there that had 
not seen the light of day for years. Absolutely, yes. And the families associated with it, you see, they were, they, 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 there was 10 Fountain members okay. in, in 1954. And they were interested in, in yachting. Mm-hmm. And so they decided that it would be perfect to, 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 to uh, have a little club uh, because it would be a great help to uh, starters and to uh, it's a very social thing. Mm. So it escalated anyway. And before very long, after about two years, lo and behold, they started building their own clubhouse on the Crook Road and uh, mo- and uh, excavating out a, a mooring place for their boats. Mm. That was back 1954 we're talking about That's right, uh, yes. the foundation of the club and then really they went public the following year. I just want to mention the 10 founders because these names will ring bells I'm sure with listeners today. Dr Joseph Hardy, Mr Noel McVeigh, Dr Alec Moore, Archie Lappin, Noel Dunn, Paddy Holden, Frank McIver, Des Gogarty, the dentist, Shane Bogue and Jim McIver. Those were the ten. They were the ten. That, that started it all off. They had, they had an interest in this kind of thing, first of all, uh, and, and they weren't just uh, roped in or anything like that. They had some sort of a, an interest in, in, in sailing. Yes. And uh, But when you'd see the small boats that they started off in, you, you'd say, Jenny, I wouldn't like uh, going out to sea in this little thing. You see, a boat... A, a yacht club, a yacht needed uh, sails. So several times people came to me, oh, what are you working on now? And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm writing a little bit about the, the yacht club. Ah, yes, that's the crowd that used to have a place down underneath the viaduct, isn't it? No, it wasn't, you see, because that was the rowing club. Yes. Which was different. The yacht club needs wind and needs access to the sea, really, in a way. Yeah. And so that, that totally different, totally just to different. distinguish between both. It wasn't long, Ricky, and you have it in the book there before they were actually competing. Absolutely. Yeah, they were competing. Uh, and it was really a race, a racing club as well. Mm. You know, it wasn't just going out uh, for pleasure only, which they did. But it was racing, racing from the from the the bar or, or from the mouth of the river to Skerries, racing from there to uh, uh, to Hoth. Yes, racing up to um, the, the lighthouse out there. What do you call that? The Rockabill, and going round that and back. Yes. Yeah, so you know what I mean. This was serious business. It was serious business, absolutely. Right, yeah. And and as you say, the bar at the mouth of the river Boyne there is where they you know began and access was was there out into the sea. The Commodore was the sort of what would you say the chairman the of captain. Uh, the captain or whatever of yes, it. Yeah. And there were many famous Commodores through the years. From and it, it was founded fifty four and actually it went out of business in nineteen eighty eight. One I want to mention because I see his daughter in the picture there was the late, great Paddy Dunnigan and Roseanne, his daughter. You got some people together, you know, uh, family members oh, of the right. founders and Just that. At the yeah. beginning, there's a lovely photograph that was taken on a very damp day at the clubhouse. The clubhouse is still there, by the way, in Crook. Is it? it is, yes. It's still there and it's owned by somebody up in Dublin who are seeking permission uh, to, uh, to extend it and to build it as, as, as a residence. Okay. Okay. And uh, for various reasons, I, I myself don't think they'll get that permission, but they're still trying. Mm. But anyway... Paddy Donegan, come back to Paddy and sailing. Yes. Well, Paddy Donegan uh, was sailing and a, a very active member of the club at the time. Mm. And uh, it, it's all documented there with memories of people that sailed with him. Now, his boat, by the time he joined, it, the boats got bigger. Mm. And so uh, it wasn't just a little two-seater boat like, yes. the, like the beginners. Yeah. The, his was, was, was a bigger boat. He would compete in a certain class of boat mm. at, the, at the regattas. And they, 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 you know, they didn't just go up the, up the sea a little bit, parallel to the land. They went to France. They went to the Isle of Man. They, they went across to, 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 you know, on holidays. But he wasn't the only one who did yeah. that. At that stage, many of them spent mm. two weeks, three weeks. They went down to Kinsale. So they sailed far and wide. That's right, yeah. Even, the, uh, along with the competitive uh, thing regatta. we were talking about, the regattas and that, uh, at home base here along the, the, eastern, the eastern coast. 
Come on to another man I mentioned a moment ago, Des Gogarty, the dentist, had the a dentist. practice in Drogheda, then moved out on the morning on the ten morning road. road. He That's was right. a prominent member. Was he Commodore ever? In he, was, yes, he was, yes, yes. yes. And a certain page down there, I, I, I don't recall the page, but it gives you all the Commodores up as far as uh, up as far as uh, eighty eight. Yes, and there was so sometimes they would have two years, but generally it was one year. One year. But it was it, it was an important uh, mm. honor. To be a Commodore. Were they a small group? Was it confined to certain families? You know, or you know, would you have to have a, a bit? Of, I'm sure you had to have a lover and interest of the sea and sailing yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, you had to have the ability, I suppose, and the money to be able to buy some sort of a boat. Sure. Other than that, you were what what was called crewing with somebody. So there could be a, a boat that would take four people, and you know it, it might take three people helping the person who owns it. Yes, to crew. So people got involved that necessarily didn't own craft or anything oh, that, like that's that, right, yeah. and that was a way for them. That to was a way for them to be well. to be enthused and to end up maybe in two years' time sharing the buying of a of a new boat. Mm. What 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 was behind its demise? Fifty four, it began. Eighty eight. It was gone. So like 34 years. What happened? Uh, several things happened. In 1973, there were two accidents whereby two people in each of the accidents drowned. And that was the beginning of the demise. And that was in 1973. Now, it kept going for a good while after that, but not too many, many new members joined in because I suppose they were saying, I'm not going to join that crowd. Yes. Because you know it, it's a of dangerous, the a dangerous yeah. sport. Mm. So two were 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 drowned off Claha Head, uh, and and two were drowned in, in the same year, except in July, uh, off Balbriggan. Okay, and they were members of. They were they were skilled members of the Boyne Yacht Yeah, Club. but the the, the the sea is 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 a lovely friend, uh, but it's also an enemy. Oh, now you said it, yeah, right. in, in it an instant. Yeah. It can, and yeah. and and that's that's the vagaries of, of of this sport as well. But that sort of was would you say the beginning of the decline? Those yes, incidents. Uh, it it was difficult for new members to join yes. that kind of thing. But then it also. Its location wasn't the best because you, you really, uh, it was tidal. Mm. And so it depended on whether the tide was in or out as to whether you could go out on the water or you'd be dragging your boat along uh, along the, the estuary a little bit before. To find water and then and get going. Coming back then home after a race or after a, uh, it meant then that you had to uh, yes. drag it back up again. Uh, uh, yes, because if you travel by train to Dublin and look at the areas where these boats are now, the sailing boats, yes. it is they're on water. Uh, they're floating. You know what I mean? Are oh, they floating? They're and floating. and that was that was a downside of this as well. Absolutely, from a local yeah. perspective. Yeah. Interesting, it, it, does, isn't yeah. it? it really, really is. I've got to mention Anglo Printers because they've printed the majority of your books. These are such a tribute to them. They're wonderful, aren't they? they absolutely, wonderful are. people. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're very, very. Uh, uh, how would you call it? Um, professional. Yes. Yes, yeah. and 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 the the reproductions and everything about them. Well done to everybody in Anglo. It's they're absolutely a credit to you. Let's talk about this one. There are some array of poets and poetesses uh, in this book. You can find it at the far side, which is the St. Mary side Saint of Mary Drogheda side. on the south side That's of the right, river. Yeah. Why so? Well, because I worked all my life over there yeah. and I had access to the schools and, and I, I, I had experience in, in uh, noticing that an awful lot of pupils in each of the classes over the years uh, there was always somebody who had an aptitude for poetry rather than just prose. Mm. And, and so I, I, I had it in the back of my mind sometime I'd love to collect together poems, uh, you know, uh, by young kids. Yes. And even retired people who went to... Uh, so uh, as, as the, the whole idea evolved then, uh, you know, I just confined it to any school in St Mary's Parish. Yes. Boys or girls, uh, secondary primary yeah. didn't make any difference Ah it's wonderful and you have a, a, a realm in the book of poetry from children who are actually attending the schools at the moment, at the moment which yes. is lovely which is, to yes, see Ricky yeah, it yeah. really is and of course you have the great and good in there John O'Brien Obr tell me about this man you have quite a few poems of his in this one I, I, I liked his stuff uh, John O'Brien was a, a originally from the, the, the what do you call it from Mount St Oliver yeah. the family uh, and the family worked I think uh, and Austin worked in the foundry 
and then he uh, worked in a, a a bakery. Yes. And he ended up actually uh, owning his own little bakery in RD. But uh, his stuff were were was um, really uh, got to do with uh, loneliness and also got to do with immigration and emigration. And so uh, he has uh, some lovely poems altogether about uh, pe- people going away to England and coming yes. back uh, and the changes that they noticed in the town. Mm, oh, he's a, he's a fine poet, I have to say. Paddy Klusky is in there, would be known very well indeed. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you're in it yourself. Anthony Matthews, a bard of modern day. That's right. Um, St Mary's, the, the far side as well, and others besides. I have to give Alison Common a shout out as well. Alison has a poem in it. She has indeed, yes. And she went to St. Sacred Heart School and that's how she qualified to be in it. And, yes. Uh, yeah. But it's it's a very funny poem. It is. And uh, A guy know, called Plug. Plug. It is. Yes, uh, when, uh, during the time of roller skating. Yes. And it, it's it's what a read, really. It really, way. really is. Well done, Alison. Alison Common, of course, of Drahad Independent fame and more besides. Lovely to see in this book as well. And, uh, you know, I want to come on to something that particularly tickled my fancy in it. Peter Lyons' bakery. If you eat Peter Lyons' bread, it sticks to your belly like lead. I won't finish it, I promise you. Anyway, the red and white and the uniforms of the Peter Lyons' guys. But there was a Shields bakery as well yes. in James Street. And there was a little... Tete-a-tete, would, would that be fair to that say? Would, uh, that would be it. Joe Shields had a bakery in, in James Street and he had a good business there as well and he was a, a bit of an entrepreneur also. But uh, he, he was getting a bit fed up with the fact that Peter Lyons was doing so well and had vans all over the place, uh, you know, and he, he, he decided to, uh, to, to, to tackle them and try to imitate them. Mm. So he painted his own vans uh, the same colour as Peter Lyons's, and also the, the 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 uniform or the coat they used to have, he chose the same colours. Yes. And Peter Lyons, of course, was mad at this, and so what he did then was he started a competition, and uh, the, he called the competition the reason why, which is the reason why my bread is better than anybody <laughs> else's, yes. and so he he put up big money to to uh, to uh, for for a prize, and people started. Uh, sending in uh, what poems into uh, the, the, the into them. Yes, and he would pass them on to the draw them the pendant, and he they printed them. Yes, uh, one or two a week, and they came from North County Dublin. And uh, oh, North Loud, there's here big Dundalk winner there in the competition as well. And I'm looking at the prizes. You know, two pounds, two shillings. Nothing to be sneezed no, at back you. then yeah, yeah, in yeah, terms of yeah. three and three as well and more there besides. So he was proving, <laughs> he was proving in a way by people liking his bread. That yes. That's why, that's the reason why he is so popular and mm. the bread was so popular. Mm. Um, you know, when you see all the names and the people that are in here and the reflection of different times and eras as well. You have a beautiful cross-section, may I say, uh, of poetry spanning uh, the ages too. Picking up stuff like this, I come back to this again, you're meticulous in your research and your sources. Where did you go for most of this? You know, the poems by the people, some of the names we mentioned there. Well, I, I went to those people or I went to... Directly? Directly, yes, yeah. and talked to them and, and asked them about the project they had in mind. And they would just say, oh, I'd be delighted to be in that. And so they would uh, give you give you free reign in what uh, what to put in, mm. oh, you know. And and you know, I, I I I love poetry myself, and I don't think it gets. You mentioned there, you know, being a teacher, prose versus poetry. It often doesn't get its rightful place. No, you know no, what no. I mean? Because people are afraid. Mm. Because even when I was teaching, uh, maybe one night uh, in the in the week, I'd give them a poem to write for homework. Yes, four lines of a poem on anything. Yeah. And it always surprised me that, you know, they'd come in the next day and we'd read them all and talk about them. And, you know, even if it was just talking about my pet or talking about rain yes. or talking about shells, yeah. talking about anything. Mm. And, and when uh, uh, they they would think uh, and then they'd, they'd end up then writing some very nice uh, yes. lines on it, you mm. know. Now, granted, they might have a little bit of a help or encouragement from mammy and daddy at home. Yeah. But I didn't mind that. But even uh, during class time, we'd often do that as well. Yeah. Um, 
Irene Bagnell. Who's Irene Bagnell in the book? Irene Bagnell is a girl who went to the Sacred Heart. Yep. And she she lived in the Halle as a baby. Uh, and, and then she was a musician. And when she reached a certain age, she went off over to Australia yes. and to America. And then... then came back home to Ireland yes, uh, and to Drogheda and, uh, you know, uh, got, got married, had a few kids. Yeah. And then she had, then she, she, she always had an aptitude for writing. Yeah. And so she, she wrote, when she was travelling, she wrote a lot of poems. Yes. And that's why they were. I, 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 I like her. Australia. I do like her. I like everybody in the book. It's terrific. This is called Poems, Prayers and Tales from the Far Side. The other one is The Boyne Yacht Club. Where can people pick these books up? Now, I've seen that all these these two books were printed locally. Yes. So I, 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 I decided that, well, uh, local shops are going to get these. Great. Seamus McCabe, his shop in Duleek Street, you can get them there. Maher's Chemist in West Street, you can purchase them there. The Forge Field in Termon Fecken, you can get them there. The Gift Shop in Mornington, you can also get them there. And you can get them from May Fane here, the author, by ringing 087 976 3689. That's my mobile number. Great. And we have it here off the main number here if you want to get in touch with Ricky. Congratulations. Two wonderful books. I absolutely love them. Thank you very much. We'll be back, I'm sure. He's not stopping at 17. Ricky Gerrard, my pleasure today. Thank you very much, Jerry. Sinead Kelly is back with us on Late Lunch. Hi, Sinead. Hi, I was getting very confused there with another Sinead. I was like, should I be somewhere else in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) No, you're with us today on Late Lunch. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's great to have you back. Sinead, Halloween is here. The bangers, the fireworks, you name it, are going off good everywhere. What's your advice to owners of dogs in particular, and I take it cats as well, who are out and about? planning ahead now because the, I've certainly heard everything beginning to go off the last few days so there's a few very common sense things that you can do um, so for example um, really you know on, on the night of Halloween or the nights around that where you think there's going to be maybe bonfires or fireworks um, certainly make sure that your house is escape proof so even if you have a cat that you let go outside I would keep them in once darkness falls or maybe even a little earlier in the day um, if you're expecting trick or treaters um, maybe have the cats or dogs you know securely away in another room so with all the excitement of someone coming to the door they're not going to bolt out the door because just the noise and the sound and the light can terrify them so even a dog or a cat would only be very calm might run off in the street and they might get lost and, and terrible things can happen so first of all plan what you're going to do with them on the night um, the second thing that you can do yourself to, to kind of minimise the disruption the advice is really to kind of draw your curtains have the television or the radio on um, just kind of talk reassure your animals um, act normally if you can um, make sure especially for cats there's a very safe hidey place they can go and hide so most people with cats they'll know they have a favourite place like under the bed or in the cupboard or in the drawer or in a box um, so just make sure in, the, in the, these few days that you have plenty of little safe hidey zones where cats can go and with your dog as I say um, you know, have some sound on, reassurance um, if you feel now at this stage that maybe last, last year that didn't work so well, have a chat with your vet because there are a few different um, either natural kind of what you call them nutraceuticals that can help a little bit to calm um, animals down uh, so there's a few products derived from milk thistle and milk protein which can be very helpful as a natural kind of calming agent and then there's kind of stronger forms um, we can use certain drugs at, at, at very specific doses so it needs to be that your animal is checked out by the vet and the vet will prescribe or dispense these meds they can be very good at, at calming them down so definitely chat to the vet and then other things that are good that you can get say in the big pet stores or in your vets um, for the cats everyone's probably heard of the, the feely way diffusers you plug them in and they produce cat appeasing pheromone which calms cats down and there's a similar equivalent for dogs in the form of a dap collar so it produces this dog appeasing pheromone and scientifically there's lots of studies to show that the dap collar the, the feely way diffuser are very good you know over a period of time at calming animals so start looking at, at your program and your routine now chat to your vet um, and definitely a lot of times people tend to kind of leave it to October 31st and they phone the vet and they're like wanting the vet to dispense heavy duty tranquilizers. Well that's not going to happen because we can't dispense anything without physically examining the animal and checking their heart's okay and everything else is okay and also we can't dispense anything that's going to totally knock your animal out because it's not safe to have a sedated anaesthetized animal out in the community without access to a vet or oxygen or 
support. So the medications that we can dispense are, you know, certain specific maybe kind of uh, sedatives um, that are just going to calm and take the edge off. So, you know, this this notion that you're going to be able to get this fabulous tablet from the vet that'll just make the dog go to sleep or the cat go to sleep, it's not really going to happen. You have to do quite a lot yourself to kind of soundproof, calm your house, calm your rooms, um, and also then have a chat with your vet about either the, the kind of nutritional supplements or actual medication. There's another thing that's quite good for dogs, a thing called a thunder jacket or a thunder coat. Uh, if you look that up online or go to big pet shops, again, a lot of these studies have shown that when dogs are, have this kind of feeling of security, whether it's this kind of special jacket or blanket that kind of weighs on them a little bit. So it's a specific concept. They're called thunder jackets. And basically, it makes them feel secure and calms them down a little bit. So that's another thing to, to think about and, and to start asking about. Cats doesn't really work for, but cats are more going to be, you know, calmed by having places to hide um, and being kept away if people are coming to the house and making sure they can't escape or can't get out. Because unfortunately, if they do get out, get lost, they're going to be disorientated. They could be knocked down. You know, it, it could be really disastrous. Lots of good advice there coming into the uh, weekend where it all goes wild, but hopefully it'll calm down after that. Here's a question for you from a listener. Jerry, can you ask Sinead, I have a three-year-old cocker that's gone off his food all of a sudden and no matter what he, what we do, he won't take the nuts. He's always been eaten, even when we soak them, add to them as well, but he will eat uh, chicken and meat. There's no problem with that, but we can't get him back on the nuts. Yeah, okay, so that means if if he's happy to eat the the good stuff, the treats, your chicken or your ham or a bit of cheese or some dog treats, it means that he hasn't gone off the nuts because he's systemically unwell. It's because he's either lost the interest in that particular flavour or taste, or perhaps if you're noticing that he's able to take soft food, maybe we want to just check that the reason he's avoiding the dry kibble is because it's dry, hard food and he can't manage to eat it. So it's probably worthwhile having a chat to your vet, just getting your vet to check his mouth um, sometimes, especially as they get a little bit older, or often if there are certain kinds of dogs, they can develop uh, tartar and plaque and dental disease and gum disease. And so if they have sore gums and, and uh, sensitive tissues in their mouth, eating harder dry food is going to be more difficult. So those animals will self-select and will look for softer food. So just make sure we've not got an issue in the mouth that's making dry, harder food difficult. If you're happy, that's all okay. I suppose you have to make a decision then. Are you going to um, keep trying lots of different foods until you find the one that they like? Um, Or are you going to stick it out with the one that you've decided is the one they're going to have? And you probably have to have a a bit of a combination of, of, of the two approaches. So once you're happy, there's nothing going on in the mouth. There's no systemic reason why the dog can't eat hard, dry food. Um, I would certainly go into the larger pet stores, go to your vets um, and look at the the kinds of dry food that are available uh, for your dog given their age, the type of dog they are, whether they have any specific kind of medical or nutritional needs. Um, And I think I've said it before as well, with the food you tend to get what you pay for. So the more expensive food has the better quality protein and it's the better quality protein and the higher quality protein source that often makes food more appealing to dogs. Um, And so you may end up having to spend a little bit more money um, getting a a slightly higher quality food. A lot of different places you can buy a small little bag or a trial bag and see if the dog likes that first. Um, Certainly things like soaking the food or adding a little bit of, um, some people use a little bit of, of, say, vegetable stock or chicken stock or gravy, very small amount to do that. Or you can actually get a little thing, it's called, I can't remember the specific name, but I was actually in our local RD Pet Shop uh, this morning and they have a little thing where um, it's like a kind of specifically made to add dry food to kind of add a more flavour to it. So there's lots of different things. If you go online, there's loads of different pet stores and, and different advice where you can get um, help to kind of improve the palatability of the dry food. So you're going to have to do a little bit of research and investigation. Good answer there. You can't keep the chicken and the beef going. Uh, get back to the nuts. Uh, another one for you, Sinead, here. Uh, we have a three-year-old female cat. Our children want to bring in another kitten. What does Ooh. Sinead say? Uh, Sinead says that this is probably not going to make your existing cat very happy. Uh, Plenty of people do it, and a lot of people have multi-cat households. All the studies show, and pretty much 
most people's experience with cats is that unless cats have grown up together, um, you know, from a very young age, as in siblings, and even then you can't guarantee they'll get on for life, um, introducing a new cat to a pre-existing cat is incredibly stressful to the new cat. Um, Cats are very territorial. Their home is their territory. Um, So if you introduce a new little kitten or a new adult cat, your your resident cat is going to be stressed, very stressed. And so you run the risk of them developing behavioural issues so, such as inappropriate urination, um, just being very unhappy, hiding away. So I would kind of think long and hard because if if the reason you're, you're kind of going to get a new kitten is because the kids are saying, mommy, mommy, I want a new kitten. Remember, the kitten is going to be an adult cat in six, nine months. Yes. Will the kids have lost interest then? Mm. Are, are the children not happy with the cat that they have? Um, because you really have to consider the, the animal that you have. Cats are so different to dogs. We tend to have it all wrong in the way we have our dogs and cats in that more often we have, people have one dog, but they might have multiple cats. And as I say, cats as a rule get really stressed living in multi-cat households. So it's not impossible that it might work, but it's very likely you're going to get some stress. And if your cat's resident cat's personality is already a little bit stressy, a little bit anxious, I would really think twice about it because you may end up with a very, very stressed, unhappy resident cat and that will predispose to physical illness as well. And also the new kitten that you're going to get, you can't, uh, often kids want kittens um, because they think they'll be all cute and cuddly and sit in their lap and enjoy the snuggles. And with cats, as we know, you just can't guarantee that with any cat. Cats do what cats want to do. So I suppose you have to have a chat with the children and kind of explain, look, this will be lovely and we'll have a lovely kitten, but what about our own little cat already? It, it's 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 going to be very stressful and traumatic for them. So I would try and get to the bottom of why do they want a new cat? Maybe can we explore ways better where they can have a better relationship with the cat they already have? And just to remember... You know, sometimes people just get flights of fancy and think, oh, I'll get a new one of this or a new one of that. You've got to remember your existing animal because it's, it's, it can be so, so difficult for them, especially for cats. Whereas dogs tend to um, have a higher chance of getting on with a new dog, depending on the resident dog's personality and genetic makeup and things like that. But for cats, I, I tend to say, do you really have to get a new cat? <laughs> I hear you Sinead I hope our listeners do too I would be taking your advice and steering well clear Sinead listen we'll see you hopefully in person next month with a new visitor I believe yeah with Robin I think it's time uh, to uh, introduce Robin to the airwaves now yes. so uh, yeah she's Cleo's uh, one true heir ah. uh, I'm not quite sure if she'll be quite as well behaved but, but we'll see we'll, we'll, see. we'll, we'll get her involved we'll, listen we'll give it a go she'll be uh, settled in in no time looking forward to seeing you thank you so much for joining me today no uh, problem chat soon Jerry. take, take care. care bye that's bye. our vet Sinead Kelly what a brilliant brilliant woman she is you're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio when I wake up in the morning And brings back memories, doesn't it, Louise? It certainly does. And Great the song. reason we wanted to have a little snip of that one there was because you were delving into your archives and you came across the jumbo breakfast roll. When? What year? Yeah, an old post came up on my social media from yeah. that I posted a picture nine years ago. Um, the, the picture was of breakfast roll being advertised. I think it might have been in one of the supermarkets and I kind of thought, well, that's the recession over once you see the breakfast roll. So it was nine years ago. And how much are you talking about then? It advertised breakfast roll with one filling. Yeah. How much would you think? Uh, talk nine years ago now. Nine years ago. I don't even know how much it is now, but three now euros three three fifty. It's one filling, so you, you, one you filling. had one sausage or oh. one rasher or that. <laughs> Jeez. that was I presume that's one filling. Anyway. All takers for that, they'd want the jumbo, the works. Mm. I don't know, three euro, three fifty. One ninety five. Ah, mm-hmm, one ninety five. So that's what one filling. Mm. Two fillings was two forty. Yeah. Three fillings. Two eighty five, yeah, and a full yeah. breakfast jumbo roll. How much was a whopping 
3.30. You see, that's what I was thinking of. Now, I'm going to give myself a little credit here. So I was probably thinking of it jammed with everything. Sausages, rashers, eggs, uh, hash browns, the lot. Well, it says here the full roll was two rashers, yeah. one sausage, two hash browns, two puddings. Is there an egg in there? No, well, there might have been an egg as well. Oh, I'm not too to sure. Egg. There has to be an egg. That's, so 3.30 for the so jumbo. Two, four, six, seven, yeah. seven or eight and what, pieces. That's nine years ago. That's nine years ago, 3.30. What's it now? I haven't bought a, I don't think I've ever bought a sausage. That's 2014. A breakfast roll today, a jumbo mm. breakfast roll with all you said mm. there in it. Rashers, sausages, eggs, uh, hash brown, bit of pudding maybe as well. Red sauce, loads of red sauce. Or brown sauce. Yeah, in your case, brown. Mine red. Um, I'd say seven euro today. Would, would it? it be? Right. No, I know I found it. I was searching to internet yeah. there a wee while ago. And um, I could only find um, a couple of kind of media stories about Dublin earlier this year. Okay. And I think it was about seven piece as well. And it was 8.45. Ooh. 8.45. Even more than I thought. But that was two eggs, pudding, two sausages, bacon, hash brown. So I don't know what a normal jumbo roll consists of and how much it is. Anyone out there listening to us... Uh, a consumer for a jumbo breakfast roll nowadays. Anyway, give us a price in it. What would it cost today? I thought about seven euro in the northeast. Maybe I'm way off the mark. Maybe it's cheaper. It's a fiver. Maybe it's dearer. Well, the I jumbo, think that eight forty five might have been on the, the Dublin prices. Side. <laughs> that's that's Dublin uh, prices Probably. for sure. I would think so. Might half a pig for that. <laughs> some, <laughs> some parts. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight. That's oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text. If you can fill us in on the fillings and the jumbo breakfast roll. How much would it cost? Anyone listening out there in a the business as well, how much does it cost? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you on late lunch. The Sound Festival of Food and Culture is on in Kells between the 2nd and the 5th of November. They have a wonderful programme. What a lineup they have. And you can check that out and book on boynevalleyflavours.ie. That's boynevalleyflavours.ie. I have a pair of tickets to give away today to the Red Chapel on Sunday, the 5th of November. Uh, demonstrations there, four wonderful cookery demonstrations going on. And the question was, what type of food is linguine? It is a pasta, of course. And the tickets today going to Margaret English. Well done to you. We'll be in touch. No tricks. Only treats with LMFM Radio Bingo. Yes, we've added an extra thousand euro to the jackpot. So next Tuesday on LMFM Radio Bingo, you're playing for ten thousand euro. Congratulations to Mary O'Brien from Ratmaline and Brian Courtney. He's in Inniskeen. They won five hundred euro each. Cool. You can win too. You gotta get your books. They're available from outlets across the northeast. And remember when you play LMFM Radio Bingo. You're helping the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre who helps so many people right across the North East. Let's do the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number three from this week in the year of our Lord. 1991 we're going back to. Well, what do I say about this song? It sold over 14 million copies, 14 million worldwide, and is one of the best-selling singles of all time. It is, in fact, definitively the best-selling single by a German artist. The song became associated with revolutions, in particular the fall of the Berlin Wall. What am I talking about? Yes, it's a big power ballad and it's coming your way now on Late Lunch, the number three from this week in 1991. Yes, you know what it is, don't you already? It's German rock band Scorpions and an absolute cracker. Power to the people, I say, when you hear this one. It's the wind of change. Wind of change, Scorpions, number three in our top five countdown from this week in 1991. Four on the way tomorrow, and sorry, two on the way tomorrow, and then number one on Friday. 
passwords and protecting all that is dear to us were not good folks. Declan Bailey's joining us next. Magella was on to say that she picks up a role, not a breakfast role, in Dunn Centre in RD for four euro fifty. But Grace, hi Grace, thanks for getting in touch with us from Nile Clark Isles. I love that ad. Uh, Grace says the breakfast bat with three fillings is five euro. Oh, good value there. And every seventh is free with your loyalty fob. I like that, Grace. That's clever. It really is. There you are. Get a feel for the price of the breakfast roll. Anyway, we're not good on passwords. Uh, We've spoken about this in the past, but it's now official. Declan Bailey from Business Tech Help is on the line to help us all. Declan, thank you for joining me. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. But when I read this, one, two, three, four, five, six is the most common password. Declan, they're joking us. No way. But it's, it's hard to believe in this day and age where the amount of spam and, you know, corruption that's going on. Why are people still doing this? It's It just does not make sense because I you've been on with us in the past w- warning yeah. and cautioning people about this. It is the most breached password. 37 million breaches are attribu- uh, attributed to 123456. Declan, come on. Is, is, is the message not getting through? But, you know, it's like I was talking to somebody this the other day, the texts that you get in now about your DHL delivery or on-post delivery. Mm. Click here. People are still clicking into that. <laughs> when there's so much talk about it. Yes. Same thing with passwords. There's so much talk about it, but people will still. Passwords are a different thing altogether insofar as people just want the simple life. I don't want anything complicated. I'm not going to remember it. I certainly am not going to use different passwords for different accounts. Mm. That's just not going to happen. So therefore, if you were with somebody and you were looking to get their password, think of the few questions that you could ask just to rule out certain things. So for argument's sake, you're talking to someone and you say, these passwords now drive you mad, wouldn't they, these days? You know, you have to use numbers and special characters. Oh, yeah, yeah. And do you, would you use special characters? No, no, I wouldn't use any special characters. I just continue on with And you can find out things from people. Yeah. So it's very easy to find out what someone's password is and keep on trying, especially if you don't have that two-step turned on where something is not going to stop you out. And Declan, as you say that, um, you know, we are devils as well for having a password that is common to several devices, several uh, apps, several, uh, you know, say banking things we do as well. That's a massive error too, isn't it? It is. And even when you think of your PIN code for your laser card, Mm. your code for your alarm on your house, Mm. Most people are able to change that and therefore they will default back to whatever four or six digit code they use on their phone, they use on something else, just as well that they say to themselves, I'm not going to use something different because I will not remember it. So it's almost human nature to say, I'll just make life as easy as possible for myself. So this is what I'm going to do. But it's ridiculous when you think of it. You get one password belonging to somebody. So if you have figured out somebody's password and you can get into their email account, Mm. that opens the floodgates to so many other things. Because if I'm using the same password, it's probably on my other, let's say, my Amazon account. You can then get into that. And anything else that you might think of, eBay, wherever else people trade online. Yeah. So if you... Uh, use the same and you don't change it, you are inviting, as they used to say, you know, uh, in your home, make sure you lock your doors, open your windows, you're leaving the door open, you're leaving the windows open and they're in and away they go. What do you say, you know, is a longer password better in general if you can put in, you know, up to 10, 12 digits? Are you better utilising the whole lot? Well, have you noticed now lately that if you log into some account and they might come back to you and say, look, We'd prefer if you change your password because we want this super encryption now where you have to use a character and a lower space, yeah. whatever it might be. So they encourage you to do it. You don't have to do it, but they encourage you to do it. But even just think of the simple thing that I'm going to use the one password for everything. I'm not going to change it. I don't care what anybody says. Well, then just think of just make it a little bit longer. So if it's, you know, uh, let's say Manchester United, well, then put in three or four forward slashes after it, three or four question marks something that you will remember but do something add something to it don't use Manchester United they're too easy to break into (laughs) anyone playing (laughs) against them will tell you you can score well oh no I'm only being facetious there anyway the United fans will be going mad with that but it is the truth Um, Declan the thing is about changing and about having different ones how Hmm. often should you flip your password change it 
Well, here, here's the mad thing now. What anybody would say in cybersecurity once a year. So, right. like, no one's going to do that. No. Like, there's no point in talking about something that nobody is going to do. For me, the couple of recommendations that I would have is that you either use a password manager. There's loads of them out there, especially if you're on a desktop or a laptop. Loads of password managers. I, I use LastPass. A lot of them are free. And they'll generate a password if you want, but you can obviously put in your own password. But the other thing as well is that if you are going to be serious about this and you are going to sit down someday and say, right, OK, I have to change some of these passwords for some of the logins, especially with sites that you say, I do not want somebody to be able to log into this particular site. I'd sit down with either a notes app. So let's say on iPhone, you've got your notes, open up notes, headed passwords, and then put all your different passwords in there. You can lock that note by a password. Mm. So for argument's sake, someone gets your phone, goes to open up that particular note, a password prompt will come up. They won't be able to get into it. See, you can do it the same on Android phones. Find a note app that looks to lock an actual note with a password. So at least you have them written down somewhere. If you are serious about changing them and you know making them difficult to get into, but you're going to have to start somewhere. Yeah, because it's too easy and there are too many breaches happening at this time. I'm just looking at some of the passwords. You know, one two three four five six one 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 one. Would you believe it that that is still one? But I think one of the most twee passwords. Surely, Declan, nobody's using the word Glenrow. I know. <laughs> they are, Declan, they are. But you would have to say... But it, like for argument's sake, if you take a hacker now, somebody that's in their 20s trying to get into, they're not going to figure out Glen Rowe. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> what is Glen Rowe? <laughs> what is it is right? There's not a prayer. Maybe it's a good one. I, I know we laugh at it, but, but you're right. You're mm. making a point there. Mm. Who would? It's mm. not that type of thing at all. But believe you mm. me, and, and you can verify this, they're out there. They're lurking. There's people just ready and willing to get in and raid whatever they can. That's the reality, Declan. And, and plus, we're just talking about that, that I don't know whether people just, you know, uh, don't realise this, but somebody that wants skin, that's their job. That's their nine to five job, mm. trying to hack things. That's what they do. They're not going to give up, or oh, I tried a couple of passwords, I'll move on to somebody else. That's what they do. So if they have a list of all the passwords that people use, they try all them, and then they just start adding on to them. I'll put a forward slash here, I'll try this. But they will figure it out if they want to. Yeah, and that if is. If you have a simple enough password. Yeah, that is reality. Look, the message today is do go back, check the passwords. I'm as culpable myself. I've got to do it too. Declan, you've been mm-hmm. so helpful as always. Thank you very much for taking the call today. Cheers, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. That's bye. Declan Bailey there from Business Tech Help. All your IT needs. He's the man. That's it on late lunch for this Wednesday afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive. We'll be back with Thursday's late lunch from 1.30. Have a lovely evening. See you then. Mm-hmm. 